All right, hey, once you've met someone, yes, you can take a seat. Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to the exchange. So glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, all right? Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. But Ephesians chapter 5, we've got some Bibles being passed out. Again, welcome. So glad you guys are here. Um, we are doing a short little series on the Holy Spirit. We're calling it Receive the Spirit. You might be wondering why, what, what is the point of this, why are you doing this? Um, we've just been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus for the last couple thousand years. Uh, for the last 2,000 years, the church has been looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. We've been talking about him, reading about him, proclaiming him. And here we are in 2018, and our hope is to go, okay, now what? How, how do we walk with Jesus? How do we know God? How do we hear from God? How do we do life? How do we love and serve our community? Um, how do we not just be about ourselves? How do we live with purpose, and with power, and really the answer is through the Holy Spirit. And our hope is just to slow down and say, yes, Jesus is risen. Yes, we know he ascended to the right hand of God in heaven, but he's also sent us the Spirit. And as Christians, we need, we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we don't think we do. Sometimes we think we're good, but we could not do this without God's Spirit dwelling in us and even coming upon us. And so we want to look at this more. And so we're in week four of this series, and today we're going to be looking at the Holy Spirit and power, the Holy Spirit and power. I'll explain what that means in a minute. Uh, but there's kind of been a progression if you've been with us. And if you're new, welcome, and I want to walk you kind of through this progression of what we've been doing. So here's kind of the idea. We've been looking at the Holy Spirit, the person and work. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? We talked about how he's here to point to Jesus, to testify of Jesus, say, stop looking at yourself, look at Jesus. We talked about who he is, what he does. Uh, we talked about the Holy Spirit and, and salvation, how the Holy Spirit adopts us into the family of God, the Bible says, how he dwells in us, how he seals us. That means we're kind of this, the Holy Spirit's like a down payment for the day of redemption. So we talked about the Holy Spirit and salvation. Last week, we looked at the Holy Spirit in just day-to-day -day life. When the Bible says walk in the Spirit, what does that mean? How do you actually know the Holy Spirit's in you? And so we talked about the evidence for the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. And so here's kind of what we've been looking at. The Holy Spirit is with us. He's with us. We talked about how he's in us. And today we want to look about how he comes upon us, how the Holy Spirit comes upon us, how we can have the power of God. And this is so important. So there's kind of this progression, and even you see this in the New Testament. There's three prepositions used really to describe our walk with God. So please don't miss this. The Holy Spirit is with us. He's with the world, convicting the world of sin. He's with us as well as our helper or advocate. He's in us once you believe in Jesus, but he also can come upon us. And that's what we're going to look about at, at today specifically, how the Holy Spirit can come upon us, how we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Here's the verse we so often use or point to. We haven't yet in the series, but you know, know this verse, Acts 1, verse 8. It says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses. Next week, we're going to talk more about the witnesses part, the Holy Spirit and evangelism. But this week, we're looking at what does it mean when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and fills us? What does this look like? Should Christians look different from the world? Of course. Why? Why so often does the world look at the church or look at individual Christians and say, where's the power of God? Where's the love? Where's the forgiveness? Where's the grace? This is something I think I personally and we as a church have to own up to and say, yes, there should be a difference. And maybe we're not walking in the Spirit. Maybe we haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And we see in the book of Acts, we're going to walk through this a little bit, how people are like, I didn't even know that the Spirit could fill us. What does this mean? I didn't know He could come upon us. We could receive the power of the Spirit. What does this mean? What does this look like? And so let's talk about that. And because I think sometimes even just today, maybe there's fear when we talk about the person of the Holy Spirit. And I think I've had to address those fears in my heart. Like, why? Why is there fear? Why, why do I think about the Holy Spirit? Why do people kind of get this crazy idea that you'll look like this just madman on TV who just shouts things and does, like, what, what is that? Why do we have this fear? And, and how, who is the Holy Spirit? Like, what does he really do? How does he really transform us? What does he make us into? And so we, we desperately need to go through this. Guys, here's my heart. We're almost done with this little short six-week series, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a lot more even after this as a church family. Um, but please, this is like a cry, a plea for our church to really just desperately seek after and rely on the Holy Spirit to pursue him, to know him, to walk with him. That I don't want this just to be something where I, I've given you some information and you're like, oh, this is some good information or quotes. No. How do we be a Holy, how do we be a Holy Spirit-filled church? One author said it this way. Just listen to this. He said this. If the Holy Spirit moves, nothing can stop him. If he doesn't move, we will not produce genuine fruit. No matter how much effort or money we expend, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. We are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and the presence of the Spirit of God. I don't want people to look at our church and say, uh, I, I get that. They, they do some things here. That's how like, they're moving. Like, I want people to go, this is unexplainable what God's doing. How are people getting saved? How are people growing their faith? How are they being freed from addiction? Like, I want people to look at the church and say, there's nothing that can explain this other than God's spirit moving, other than God's presence is with them. That's all we want. That's all we're desiring. My hope, again, is, as I said, is not for this just to be a teaching series. I'm begging that you guys take this, and I take this as well back home with us, that we individually seek the Holy Spirit, that we corporately seek the Holy Spirit, that we're saying, Jesus, we need more of him. <laughs> Give him to us. And what does that look like? And how do we receive the Holy Spirit in this kind of way? We're going to answer those questions and look at that tonight because it's a lot simpler than we think. So let's do this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. We're going to read there. We're going to read a few verses, and then we'll pray and look at it more in depth. Uh, the Holy Spirit and power, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, being filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? So Ephesians chapter 5, uh, look at verse 15 with me, all right? Ephesians 5, verse 15. Paul writes, verse 15, See then, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let's pray. Father, I just, um, I must confess even my, my life, um, as, we, as we study about this Holy Spirit, as we look to you, God, just forgive us so often for just trying to do this in our own strength or efforts or flesh. And Jesus, we just need you. We need you to send us your Holy Spirit individually as a church. We know that you already sent him, but specifically today that we as the church might be filled just every day with your spirit. That God, maybe the confusion or the debates amongst the church about what does this look like, Jesus, we just ask that we'd experience you. That we experience more of your presence that you really would fill us, that we could be filled with nothing else
because we're just filled with you, God. And so please move in this place. We need to hear from you. God, we need you to save. There are lives in this room that Jesus, you're pursuing right now. They've not yet believed in you. They've not yet received you. And we ask that today they would. That Holy Spirit, you'd open our eyes to you. The Holy Spirit, you do something new in our lives. So move in this place, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, in 2010, my family, my, my parents, my sister, my wife, not my whole family, but my family went to Egypt. It's an incredible experience. When my family, my dad retires, like, we're going to do a little Egypt-Israel trip. And so we, we got to Egypt and had no idea what to expect. You know, we're seeing the pyramids and we're traveling from place to place. It's an awesome experience. But when we're on the bus, our tour guide, who is much older than my sister, my sister's a couple years older than me, he was talking a lot with my sister. Uh, and then he started talking to my parents, and eventually on the tour, he asked if he could purchase my sister. Um, he talked to my parents, like, so how much for your daughter? Now, as a younger brother, I thought it was hilarious, <laughs> you know? I'm like, yes! You know, this guy is probably in his 40s, she was in her, like, mid-20s, and I thought it was the best thing ever. And so I'm like, yeah, like, five dollars, you know, just messing with the family a little bit. And I thought it was the best thing until I was asked for my wife to be purchased for me. I'm like, you know that this is my wife? They're like, yeah, yeah, doesn't matter. I'm like, what? Uh, so a couple different times, I was asked if by some males in Egypt if they could purchase Kimber, my wife. Um, and the second time I was asked, I was so just kind of like annoyed, like I'm like, it's I can't tell if they're joking, like it's serious. Uh, he offered a certain like camel price for my wife, and I was like frustrated. I said, no, not 30, how about 300 camels? And he's like, deal. And I'm like, all right, take it easy, camel boy. Like, I'm totally kidding here, like, and there was like a legitimate thought of maybe I can, and they were literally like, bar like talking to my parents. My dad's like, I don't think you get this. We're not selling my daughter. Like, no. Uh, and there's a similar story of purchasing something precious in Acts chapter 8. And I, I want you to hear this. There's this guy named Simon. Simon's from Samaria. Simon hears about Peter and John and Philip. He's actually seeing his city be like radically changed. So Simon is seeing people get baptized in the name of Jesus. He's seen Philip, Peter, John, he's seeing them heal people. People, they're doing incredible miracles. Remember, Simon was a sorcerer. Simon had power too, but he saw some greater power in these guys. And so Simon in Acts chapter 8, we'll throw the verses up here. Listen to what he asked Peter. Acts chapter 8, Simon says, When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, notice that, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Peter basically says, you and your money both need to die. You and your money can both perish. It's pretty strong, actually, if you read it. It's like, you can both go to die. Uh, this is Peter being very strong. I want you to hear this because here's this guy, Simon. He's seen the power of God's spirit move. He's seen it move in really miraculous ways. And he goes, can I purchase the Holy Spirit from you so I can also do what you're doing? Can I buy this precious gift? Can I buy this and have this? Can I, I want to work in the same way you're working. And I want us to hear this because obviously, obviously, church, listen, the Holy Spirit cannot be purchased. He's not something we buy. He's someone we receive. He's not someone we buy. He's someone we're filled with. That God, the Holy Spirit, is a person, as we talked about in our first week. It's not like, oh, I have like five gallons of the Spirit, and this guy's like 10 gallons. It's like, no. Either you have the Holy Spirit or you don't. Either he has you or he doesn't. And so what does this look like to be filled with the Spirit? What does this even mean when the Bible says be filled? Over and over again, primarily we'll see it being spoken of as being filled with the Spirit. And what does that look like? Uh, a great author, his name is Simon Pronsby. He's from like Oxford, England. Uh, here's what he, he said. He says, when the Bible speaks of being filled with the Holy Spirit, listen, 
It is saying that one is consumed, taken over, impregnated, saturated, complete and replete with God's presence and power. To be filled with the Holy Spirit leaves no room to be filled with anything else. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means there's no room to be filled with anything else. I really do want you to think about this for a second. All of us are filled with something. All of us are filled with something. But right now, you're, you might be just like filled with coffee, right? You're like, just like a little buzz. But all of us are filled with something. We're filled with bitterness many times. Hatred. We see in the scriptures actually people filled with hatred, controlled by hatred. Filled with jealousy. Maybe you're in this, this room right now this morning, you're just filled with brokenness. You're filled with pain. You're filled with sorrow. Paul talks about how you can be filled with alcohol, and we'll talk about why he brings up alcohol. It's really interesting. But all of us are filled with something. And here's what the, what the Bible's trying to show. Here's what Simon's, here's, here's what we see. Be filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, you can't, you can't be filled with anything else. When you're filled with the Spirit, that's what dominates your life. That's what controls your life. That's what moves your life. See, I think so often in Christians' lives, and I, th- and I think the world notices this, I think the church notices this, I think we, we can notice in others, we're really bad at noticing ourselves, but many times there's something missing or lacking, and we go, why do I feel like I'm missing something? Maybe you go, in our marriage, we're missing something. In my workplace, I'm missing something. In my call and passion in life, I'm missing something. Just in the day-to-day life, like, why don't I feel like it's just hard to get up in the morning, and it's hard to do life, and what is that? Why, what are we missing? As Christians, who we say, man, we've been saved, we've been bought, we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We go, yes, but then we still walk around with our heads hanging low and there's no passion, no zeal, no power. What is missing? And this is where we talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he seals you. Yes, he dwells in you. Yes, if you believe in him, that God's presence is in you, but you still might go, what is lacking? What is missing? And there's this idea of being filled with the Spirit. Billy Graham, a lot of you might know him, and really great evangelist for our just day and age. He said something so profound, so spot on. Here's what he said. He says, everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. They are hungry for something. Uh, their Christian experience is not all that they expected, and they often have reoccurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's, this is the greatest need in the church today, and I, I honestly so believe it. I so believe that we can just kind of go to church once in a while, once a month, a couple times a month. We can, you know, maybe do a Bible study here and there with our family, our own lives, and we go, okay, I think I'm doing the Christian life thing. I think I'm experiencing God. I, I think there's probably more. And guys, I don't, I don't want to be naive to think in my, my life, I don't want to be naive to think that I've experienced everything there is to experience in Christ. Right? Do you guys get what I'm saying? There's, I know that in my life, in my, there's still this idea that God wants to fill me more. There's still f- new things for me to experience. God is sovereign and God can give me new gifts. God can do new things. I need him to. I want him to. I don't want to be like, well, I've kind of done, I've been, I've been around the Christian thing for a while now. I think I've experienced everything. No, there's more. Church, if you can hear anything, please, this morning, there's more. There's more God wants us to experience. Amen? There's more God wants for our families, for our personal lives, for our friendships. Just as followers of Jesus, there's more. Guys, we need the Holy Spirit. So what is this? What does this look like? What does this mean? In Ephesians 5, what we just read, what is he talking about? I don't know why in 2018, the last really 120 years, if you look at the church, we've kind of changed what it means to be filled with the Spirit through what church history tells us. What is that? So let's just look at this, all right? Three questions we're going to look at and answer. What is being filled with the Spirit? And that is worded the way, it's worded weird, but it's worded intentionally. What is being filled with the Spirit? How do we know if we are filled with the Spirit? How can we become filled with the Spirit? This is what we're going to look at. Please don't miss this. What is being filled with the Spirit? What does this mean? Why is Paul using this like terminology? Um, how do we know if we're filled with the Spirit? 
how can we become filled with the Spirit if we're not? So let's look at the first question, all right? First question, what is being filled with the Spirit? Would you look at verse 18 again with me? Ephesians 5, verse 18, what is being filled with the Spirit? Look at verse 18. He says, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is debauchery, dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. What? Okay. Paul says, do not be drunk with wine. Some of you are like, check, got that one down. I'm not drunk with wine. It's whiskey. No. He's saying, don't be drunk, don't be filled with alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit. Please hear this. Why is Paul doing this? Please think about this. Why is Paul saying, don't be filled with alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit? Why is he comparing alcohol and the Spirit? What are the similarities between being filled with alcohol and being filled with the Spirit? What are the differences between being filled with alcohol and being filled with the Spirit? Here's what I want you to see. So we're going to walk through this and don't miss this. I think this actually does answer what is being filled with the Spirit. I think we see clear examples of this. And I think it's unbelievable when you understand what God is saying when he's saying be filled with the Spirit. So let's look at some of the similarities really quick. Just some of the similarities. What are the similarities between being filled with alcohol and being filled with the Spirit? Are there similarities? What does that look like? Well, there's a story in Acts 2. Maybe you remember it. The first time the disciples were praying together, and it says in Acts 2 verse 4, we'll look at that verse later, but they're filled. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they started speaking in tongues of the people. So it was Pentecost. It was a big festival in Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands of people were outside their, their house, their root, in the city. There's tons of people there. <laughs> and they're there just to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. During that time, we see they're filled with the Spirit. They began to speak in tongues of men, so people could understand, in tongues of angels, it says. And then the crowd is hearing what's happening with these people being filled with the Spirit. And they go, these people are filled with new wine. Maybe you remember that story. And they go, what? It's only 9 a.m. Like, no, come on. And that's, what that, that's like the response. And they share, Peter in depth shares the gospel. And here's what I want you to see. The crowd was there, and they're going, something's weird's happening. Like, this is weird. And they don't know about the Holy Spirit, and they don't want to, they can't attribute it to the Holy Spirit because they don't know who he is. But they're going, they're like bold and just talking, and they're like brave, and they're speaking this gospel thing. They're telling us this message. And there's like this, almost this boldness and bravery. They must be drunk. And they couldn't associate with, no, this must be the power of God's spirit. Here, here's the idea. Here's the similarities you could say. Um, many times when people are, are drunk, there's maybe a unique boldness. They would say things they would normally not say, right? They would do things they'd normally not do. Uh, when people are drunk, they're like, I just feel like I can just jump off this building. And I, cause, right, like, there's almost like this weird mindset that, that that happens. And they do things they would not normally do. And here's what the Bible is talking about in this way. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there are things we would not normally do. There's things you not normally say. There's an attitude we not normally have. Please, please think through this. There have been times, hopefully in your life, my life, where you go, I would normally not go up to that person and say this or pray with them or talk with them or share Jesus with them, but I feel like I, feel like I have to do this. And there's a unique boldness. There's a unique way of carrying your life, carrying out the gospel. That you go, I would never, Josiah would never normally say, hey, I feel like I need to tell you this. But God's prompted me to share this with you. There's something about being filled with the Spirit, where the Spirit dominates your life, where he actually gives you this boldness and bravery. And, and I do want you just to think about it in this way. He's saying, don't be drunk with wine. Don't be filled with alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with alcohol, you might say and do things you're not normally saying and do. When you're filled with the Spirit, you might say and do things you might not normally say and do. Do you, you get that? But there's also a big difference. You're like, yeah, but doesn't that fall short? Yes, there's also a big difference. Here's what we've got to look at. You guys don't understand, right? Alcohol, we know. And I think like Paul intuitively knew this in some ways. Alcohol chemically is a depressant. Alcohol basically takes away reality in many ways, or it kind of softens the reality for that bravery. So because we don't really care, 
what people might say or think, or if someone's drunk, we, we just will say things and do things. People who are drunk will say things and do things. Because there's, there's almost this depressant, and it's almost lessening their view of reality, while in opposite to that, when you're filled with the Spirit, it's not that you have a less of a view of reality, you have a heightened view of reality. Your, your view of reality is actually heightened. And I want you to think through this. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 15. Before he even gets to verse 18, what does he say? He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Here's the idea. He's saying, hey, be aware. Walk circumspectly. Be wise. Know what God's will is. Have your heightens. Just have your senses heightened. Be more aware. Be more in tune. Don't have a, not, it's not that you're having a lesser view of reality. You're having a more full view of reality. And many times when you have more of a full view of reality, you'll actually say things and do things you don't normally say and do. Please hear this. Like, this is so true. So, for example, let me give you an illustration. Don't lose this. Don't lose what I'm trying to point out to you. In 2 Kings 6, awesome story, verse 17 through 20. In 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a guy named Elisha, right? Elisha's just this great prophet of God. The Holy Spirit's on him, it says. I mean, just powerful, powerful man of God. If you guys remember, there's a time where Elisha and his servant are surrounded by just the enemies, by the, this enemy army, the Syrians. They're surrounded by the Syrian army. Elisha's servant begins to panic and freak out. And he goes, Elisha, look around. Do you not see that we're surrounded? Like, we're done. Elisha, at that point in time, said, yeah, you're right, man. Like, look, at, we're, we're outnumbered. It's an army to two. Here, here, just go get drunk. Here's some alcohol. Go get drunk. Just take your mind off it. Right? He could have been like, hey, this is too scary. We're going to die. Here you go. But what does he do? He doesn't, he doesn't lessen the reality. He says, God, we'll throw the verse up here. Second Kings chapter 6, verse 17. Listen. It says, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Here's what you're going to see. He sees the surrounding armies, the Syrian army surrounding them. And he goes, guys, he goes, Elisha, we're done, the servant. We're done, Elisha, we're going to die. And he goes, God, I pray, open his eyes so he sees the true army around this army. And he sees armies of chariots of fire all around him. And here's what I want you to see. It's not that his senses were, were lessened. His senses were more, made more aware. They're heightened. Understand this. When you're filled with the Spirit, it really does look this way. There's a boldness and bravery, and there's this unique, it's, it's not because you're, you're filled with alcohol where you're kind of dumbing down the senses, and you're like, I'll just say things, I don't care, I'll just say things. It's like you're filled with the Spirit. You actually see this big reality of, oh my goodness, the people around me. There's this battle between life and death for their soul, for their spirit. There's something happening. I need to engage, and there's more of an awareness of the true reality. So let me put it this way. Life, it's like this. Life, you lose your job. You have a family to provide for. It's catastrophic in your mind. Or maybe you have a family friend or a parent or sibling. Someone dies, passes away. I've been to many funerals. We're right when the funeral is done. Everyone's like, let's just go to the bar and get wasted. Why? I don't want to deal with this pain. I, I, want less, I, I want less of a sense of reality right now. I don't want to think about this. And people can do this when you lose your job. People can do this in any sort of crisis, in any sort of suffering. They try to deaden the senses. When in reality, the Holy Spirit doesn't want to deaden the sense. He wants to make the senses more alive. And say, yes, this does look bad. Yes, you lost a family friend. Yes, yes, you lost your job. Yes, this is a critical moment in your life. But let me remind you who's on the throne. Let me remind you who's around you. You need to see who's really, you need to see the true armies around you. You need to see the true battle happening. There's this idea that the Holy Spirit is saying, look at God is ruling and reigning. Do not fear for he is with you. There's a side of the Holy Spirit being filled with the Spirit where you don't just see the problem, the chaos. You see the beauty and the solution and the glory of God, and you say, hey, though this might be falling apart, even though, like Job, even though I lost everything, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be his name. 
there's this true sense of real reality that even if you've lost everything, God is still good and God is still reigning. Amen? Please hear this. What is being filled with the Spirit? He's saying, walk circumspectly, walk as wise, uh, understand what the will of the Lord is. He's not saying, dead in your senses with alcohol. He's not saying, be filled with alcohol. Something tragic has happened, you better go drink. Something tragic has happened, you better be filled with the Spirit. You better be filled with God's presence and see true reality. Do we see that? He's, you better be filled with the Spirit. So what is being filled with the Spirit? I really, I really believe it's this awareness of God's presence and glory and goodness and the attributes of God. One author, when I was reading about this, said it like really beautifully. He says, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're just completely made aware of God's, like God's attributes become tangible. Like think about that. I can talk about God's love. I can talk about God's grace. I can talk about God's holiness and justice. But when you're filled with the Spirit, there's something that happens where you go, I, I, I'm overwhelmed by God's love. I'm overwhelmed by God's holiness. I'm overwhelmed by God's justice at this moment. And there's something just extraordinary about that. Maybe you've, I, I've kind of shared this, but there's testimonies, and maybe you've experienced it this way. I, I love this story of Charles Finney. He talks about how he's in his office just praying, seeking God, and he says the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he goes, he was so filled in a way where it felt like just wave after wave of God's love was just hitting him, and he's crying out, God, enough, enough. I can't, I can't, I can't take any more of your love. Just overwhelming. Being filled with the Spirit is just a heightened awareness of God's presence, of God's attributes, of God moving, of God working. Amen? And church, I don't understand how this always, when something tragic happens, I do believe we have an option to respond in the flesh, to respond with alcohol. Where we have an opportunity to respond with the Spirit and say, God, fill me, make me more aware of your presence. Amen? So what is being filled with the Spirit? That's what Paul s- describes it as. But next, here's the second question we're going to look at. Um, how do we know if we're filled with the Spirit? And here's what's really interesting. I believe Paul kind of defines it in verse 19 through 21, which we wouldn't expect. But let's read verse 19 through 21. Can we read that again? He says, but be filled with the Spirit. All right, verse 19, listen. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. All right, please hear this. This is not how most people today in the church would define what being filled with the Spirit is. For some reason, I think during the, in the 1900s, if you studied church history, it's interesting. There's something called the Zusa Streets Revival, and it's awesome. God poured out His Spirit in really unique, unique ways. People were getting saved. It's in L.A. People were getting saved in the early 1900s. God was healing people. It was unbelievable. But it's almost like from that point on, the idea of being filled with the Spirit means that there, there must be that either you're speaking in tongues or there's miracles happening. And yes, that is a sign that you're filled with the Spirit in, <laughs> so often. But it's not the only way. Really, if you study church history, and you study the Bible, and if you study just the idea of being filled with the Spirit is not so much the gifts. The gifts are, pr- are part of that, for sure. I would do wish we had more time to go walk through all the gifts. But in reality, it's almost more of like a character, an attitude, a response. Being filled with the Spirit is actually more than that. And he says it's about speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, always giving thanks, always submitting to each other in the fear of God. The way he describes being filled with the Spirit is not probably how I would describe it or define it. Probably not how most people would, but I think it's so important. So let's just walk through this really quick. What does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? Here's the, this, the first thing I want you to see. Number one, if you would, write notes, take this down. It's a life of worship. A life of worship. So he says, and it's a really long sentence actually. This is a really long sentence in Greek. He's like, you're going to speak to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to God. And he's really describing like a life of worship. Really someone who's filled with the Spirit will have this life of worship. It's almost like a teenage boy, 
and I use that as an example because I think it's just appropriate, when he falls in love and he's just like kind of like out of his mind and like singing and talking and writing letters and running up to her window at night and like singing to her. There's almost this idea that like he's on cloud nine well, he's just filled with joy. Maybe you have a friend who wherever they go, they sing. And you're like, I love that person, but I also hate that person. But that was kind of me. Like wherever they go, they just sing. And they're like, there's just so much. What is that? He describes it as this, this life of worship. There's just this response of, I got to praise God in this moment. I'm going to speak to you, one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, speaking to one another, making melting your heart to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's really this response of worship. And I love that thought because here, here's what I see so often. Being around the church, maybe you've seen this. It frustrates me. Many times when I see someone who knows the word really well, they love theology, they love doctrine, they love the Bible, and yet they're poor worshipers. And you talk to them, and you're like, hey, like, you know, talk to me about your life, whatever. And they're like, well, I don't really like public worship. You know, I like hymns. You know, hymns are my thing. That's normally their go-to. You know, the contemporary songs today is kind of not my thing. And there's almost like this arrogance sometimes. Like, well, it's like, no, the guys in the 15 and 1700s, they got it right, but today we got it all wrong. And I have a hard time with this. When Paul says psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that covers really everything. There, there's something today where we should say, man, sing to the Lord a new song. I love hymns. I, lo- I grew up on hymns. I, I grew up in a, very, in a church that was very like hymns and choir is great. But I also love new songs. I also love just making melody in my heart to the Lord, singing God in a new song. I just, there's something about just when you've experienced the Holy Spirit, there is this joy, there is this awareness of God's presence. Just understand this. When you're filled with the Spirit, there's, this, there's a sense where you're connected to worship. And guys, God's wor- worship is always connected to God's word. It's always connected to God's, what he says and what he is. It's really interesting. Paul, in Ephesians 5, says something really similar in Colossians 3. We'll throw the verse up here. Colossians 3, verse 16. Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Listen, in all wisdom, teaching and ad- admonishing one another, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Sounds really similar. Paul's basically saying, when you're filled with the spirit, you're filled with the word. Like those who are filled, like the word of God and the spirit of God are just really well connected. And you're going to be so filled with the word, the word just flows out of you. Can I just, again, I I need to point this out. It's in moments of crisis. You're in the hospital. And and it's hard, guys, in counseling, it's hard to, please don't do this. When like someone's suffering, like, well, you just got to worship. It can be very insensitive. But there is this side to it where you're in crisis or, or you're in something tragic and you're alone, and you say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless the Lord. There's something that says in your heart, you go, I will, I, will bless the Lord all, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. There's something about when worship comes out of your mouth, and you go, that person's filled with the Spirit. That person is responding, not how the natural man would respond. The natural person does not respond to suffering and tragedy by saying God is good. The natural man wants to curse God. The natural part of me wants to say, God, where are you? God, if you cared, why aren't you here? Being filled with the Spirit is responding in a way where you say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in you, Lord. The humble will hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. There is something about when you respond with worship and the word that you just go, this is not natural. This is someone who's filled with the Spirit. And I, it's not really it's super explainable. Paul is just kind of saying, ah, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to speak to one another in Psalms and hymns, spiritual psalms. There's going to be this, this sense of worship. And attached to that, please hear in verse 20. It's really interesting. Number two, there's this grateful heart. There's a really gr- a grateful heart. Look at verse 20. He says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not there. Yeah. <laughs> giving thanks always for all things. Just think through that. So my son, he's three, Micah. Um, I've mentioned him here and there. Uh, he, when we will pray with him at night, it's funny. 
he's learning to pray right now. We're like, Michael, will you pray for mommy? Mommy has a headache. Michael, will you pray for the day? Will you just pray? Like, well, I'm going to pray and close the day. And I love it. Michael will just like pray and thank God for everything. Thank him for everything. So he just looks around his room. He's like, God, thank you for my lamp. I love my lamp. Like, thank thank you, God, for the carpet. God, thank you. Thank you for mommy, thank you, daddy. And when he starts to get going on for maybe like five, ten minutes, he's like, God, just thank you. Thank you for mommy's migraines. God, thank you for daddy being sick. And we're like, well, can you not? Like, thank you. Like, and he's just like thanking him for these things. We're like, okay, that's really cute. But a part of me does wonder, I hear this, I'm like, are we supposed, are we supposed to be doing that? Like, maybe, maybe he's on to something, where he says, giving thanks always for all things. And Mike is like, God, thank, and he's just thanking God for everything. And we, I know what he's like praying. He's like, God, take away mommy's headache. Like, we really believe he's trying to say that, uh, but it's not coming out. But there's this thought of just like giving thanks always for all things. Do we have that? It is weird. We, we do just live in a really critical and cynical generation. We live in a social media generation. Do you remember in the back in the old days, you'd like throw people in stocks? Like they'd be in the stocks and like throw cabbage, like shame, shame. Like I think we do that today just the social media. <laughs> like we just like shame, throw a hurling comment on you. Ah, your life is horrible. Like we just do that. We like live in a shame-based culture, I believe still in many ways. It's very easy to be critical, cynical, like bah, and run away and not like actually confront it and deal with it and work with something. It's very difficult. It's like, hey, we're gonna walk through this together. There's an area in your life I see that needs help. Let's do this. And we're like, you're terrible, bye. And like we're just, we're not good at this. He's saying someone who's filled with the Spirit is giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There, there is something about joy. There's something about gratefulness. And gratefulness, even the idea of grateful, comes from this word of charis, meaning grace. You're grateful because of grace. It's just coming out of this place of God's been so good to me. I'm just going to be so grateful. Grace, like I'm so grac- grateful for what God's done. Just coming from this grateful heart. Here's a verse that I've, has always just struck me even in high school reading this verse, I'm going, oh, I think I missed it. It's Romans 14, 17. And, and Paul has this little definition of the kingdom of God. It, it's so profound. He goes, the kingdom of God is not meat nor drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not just physical things. Yes, we're going to eat in heaven. Thank you, Lord. That's, he's like, it's not just physical things. It's so much more. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's hard when someone's like, man, I'm just so filled with the Spirit, but they walk around like a miserable human being. You're like, are you? Like, are you filled with the Spirit? Why are you always critical? Why are you always negative? Why did, there, why did you never smile? Why is there no joy? Where is that? Like, yes, Jesus was the man of sorrow, but you understand at the same time, people are attracted to Jesus. There's something about wanting to be, there's like this, there's something within him that people are like, I like, I need that. See, I, I really do believe being filled with the Spirit will so, transcend itself and look like so often just joy. Not this naive, they don't really understand what's going on around them. No, remember, they have a heightened awareness of God's presence. It's this joy that's based in, I know this looks tragic and terrible, but God is up to something. There's something about walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit that looks like that. It's like, oh, they're so naive. Do they even understand? Why are they just so naive, those Christians? I can't believe they're responding this way. Maybe sometimes it is naiveness. Maybe other times you look at a person and go, no, it's not naive. They're just so aware of God's presence. They're so aware that God is up to something. There's this grateful heart. Amen? Then he says this. I think it's really describing peace with others. That's the third thing. Peace with others. But it's in verse 21, he says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. There's this mutual submission to one another. Let me say this. This is so revolutionary and different for the church. Like, most people don't want to, like, the idea of submitting to one another, putting myself under you and, and taking your lead or saying, yeah, I'll do it. You asked me to do it. I'll do it. That's just so counter to everything we know. It's, I'm going to make my, you know, own faith. I'm going to do what I, what I want to do. No one can tell me what to do. 
But Paul is saying, no, when you're filled with the Spirit, there's this idea of I'm just submitting to you, you're submitting to me, we're submitting to one another in the fear of God. We have the fear of God in our lives. You know, like, I'm going to be held accountable for my actions. I want to serve you and love you well. I want to serve you and love you well. We're, again, we're sometimes bad in the church. It's funny, from, from day one, our church, our hope has been we want to live in community together. Like, we want to know each other. We want to do day-to-day life with each other. We want to not just have groups for the sake of having groups. Like, we really want to know each other and pray for each other and text and say, how are you doing? We want to, like, do life together. And that sounds good in theory until you actually have to do it. Because when you actually have to do it, you go, this is painful. I don't like this. Why are they challenging me? Why are they asking me to do this? Why are they? And, <laughs> and he says, Paul's saying, no, when you're filled with the Spirit, there's this idea of mutual submission to one another. There's this idea like, hey, I, you know what? My brother or sister's in need. They have, I'm going to help. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be there. And, and he's describing what a Spirit-filled person looks like. And it's, again, not how you and I would describe it probably in 2018. P- people describe it as if, if there's not dead people coming back to life, if you're not speaking with t- then you're then you must not be filled with the Spirit. That's just not the case. Paul describes being filled with the Spirit and this idea of this is a sense of worship and joy and transcendence of your tragic moments in your life. You know God's up to something. You're speaking to one another in Psalms. You're giving thanks. You're submitting. That's how Paul describes it. It's very interesting to me. Yes, there will be gifts of the Spirit. Yes, there will be manifestations, the Bible talks about, of the Spirit that will come out in really unique, powerful ways. But this is also very powerful. It's very powerful to respond to tragedy with like a triumphant Spirit of God's doing something. That is not the natural man. But here's my last thing. How do, we, how do we become filled with the Spirit? So what does this look like? Okay, I'm born again. I believe in Jesus. I receive Jesus. Okay, the Spirit dwells in me, but how does he come upon me? Acts 1.8. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power, and you shall be, what, okay, how do, I do, how do I receive that? What does that look like? Remember, again, we talked about this in John 20. Jesus breathed on the disciples, said, receive the Spirit. But then he says, wait in Jerusalem for the Spirit to come upon you. Okay, so what is that? What is the Spirit come upon you? And that's kind of what we've been talking about. But how do I receive that? How, what does that look like? And before I do answer that, again, one more time, look at verse 18. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Here's why I want to point this out really quick before I answer how. Notice that Paul is actually saying something really important. In the way it's written, and I, it's not that you always have to go back to Greek, but sometimes you do. The way it's written is, is saying, be being filled it literally says that. It's really weird. It's saying, be continually filled with the Spirit. Always be filled with the Spirit. That you and I will be filled with the Spirit, not just at one moment in time. It's not like you're filled with the Spirit 20 years ago and you, you never need to be filled with the Spirit again. Actually, we see over and over again the disciples being filled with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, look at this. It says, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. We have the verses up here, Acts 2, 4, Acts 4, 31. Peter was filled in Acts 2, verse 4. Peter was filled in Acts 4, 31. My point is, and you see this as Paul several times, there's this ongoing filledness with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just happen once. Hopefully there was a time you can like remember like, yeah, man, I think that was the first time I was filled with the Spirit. But it's ongoing. Hopefully there's more moments like actually last week, actually in my car yesterday, there's ideas where you're like, I was filled with the Spirit at this moment in time. It's ongoing. Oswald Sanders said this, there's no such thing as a once-for-all fullness. We may and should be filled with the Spirit again and again. It should be this ongoing thing. And the way it's actually written is really interesting. Please hear this. It's written as a command. It's written as an imperative, meaning Paul is saying, be filled with the Spirit. Okay? How? Because here's what's weird. God's not going to command us to do something that we cannot do. If God commands us to be filled with the Spirit, you know what that means? It means we can be filled with the Spirit. Church, I please, please hear this. 
Do not think this is like, oh, unique Christians, really spiritual Christians, those in this, you know, they're, they're category seven, I'm at two still. Like, no. There's this idea where it's commanded to everyone, be filled. God say, it's, if God says love one another, that's an imperative. It's a command. Love one another. Okay, I got love one another. Be filled with the Spirit. Okay. H- how? Like, be, fil- be filled. And it's really interesting. It's passive. It's written in this passive way. Please, please hear this. He's saying be filled with the Spirit. It's not something you can do. It's something you receive. It's, this pa- it's a command that's passive. It's so unique. Hey, be filled with the Spirit, but just don't do anything. But be, be filled. Okay, so how? How? Honestly, the, the simplest definition is in Luke 11. We're going to read it, and I'll explain something. Luke 11, verse uh, 9. Read this. We'll throw it up here. Luke chapter 11. You've heard this before. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For, whoever, for everyone who asks, receive, and he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, uh, sorry, let me just put that. He will, give, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. I love how it says that. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Please hear this. Um, when, I was, when I was growing up in the church, and I'd hear, about this, I'd hear sermons like this, like, be filled with the Spirit. And you're like, okay, what does that mean? And I'd get frustrated. And I'd kind of get annoyed by this. Maybe you're like annoyed right now. Um, I remember when I was reading through this and meeting with different leaders, and I'll even share my story briefly, but there is something so simple and so beautiful about receiving the Spirit that it frustrates us. We want it to be complicated. For some reason, for some reason, Christians are like, no, no, it can't be that. Ask. Jesus is like, if a son asks for bread, is falling him a stone. If he asks for an egg, is he going to get a scorpion? No. And you're, you're terrible. How much more is your father who's good going to give you what you ask? And here's what I want you to see. Guys, how do, how, how do we go to heaven? How do we get saved? How do we be born again? As many as receive Jesus, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. It's so simple. As many as receive Jesus. Jesus paid it all. I received that. I received that. I believe in that. By faith. I put my faith, my trust, my hope for eternal life in Jesus. But Jesus paid it all. I received salvation. What a wonderful gift. How to receive the Holy Spirit the same exact way. Please hear that, church. The same way. You ask. You receive. You receive. Just like we say, Jesus, I love you. I believe in you. God, I, I, I trust in you. I ask that you come into me. I ask that you fill me. Can I tell you you're doing the same thing with the Holy Spirit? You're saying, I, I ask. God, I'm at you. And I love you got to tell God the word sometimes. It's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to pray to God with the scripture and go, God, your word tells me this, and I believe that. Your word tells me if I believe, if I ask for the Holy Spirit, you'll give him. I'm asking. God's not trying to complicate it. I, I grew up so long thinking that God's trying to trick me or complicate it. That maybe he's like, ah, I don't ask again. Like, I just, it's weird. And can I tell you, it really is by faith. There's saving faith in Jesus, and there's this, like, saving faith in the Holy Spirit. There's people who say, yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but you know, James even says, ah, do you? Show me. You say you believe, show me. There's the same idea of you believe the Holy Spirit, you believe that God's giving the Holy Spirit. There, there's this idea that there will be fruit, there'll be evidence for that. So if here's for me, w- kind of, and everyone's story is different, and please don't hear my story and kind of go, huh, I have to have the same experience or same, nope, not at all. I love talking to Christians and hearing their story and how God filled them with the Spirit, how God continually fills them with the Spirit, and it's beautiful. For me, I remember being 18 years old, I drove up to Oregon, 
was really growing in my faith at that time, really kind of going, God, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I just want to serve you. So for me, I, this was my experience as I go, I drive up to Oregon, and there's a church there. It's called Applegate Christian Fellowship. The pastor's name is John Corson, and we were spending a week at his church in Oregon, a beautiful church. Like, they have a church in this little hill with these little cottages, and you can, like, rent a college, like, cottage for, like, 10 bucks a night. And it's awesome. Like, no TVs, nothing, just cottages, and, like, you know, we, I remember we w- woke up one morning, there was snow on the ground, like deers are frolicking. I'm like, where am I? Did I die? Like, is this heaven? Like, it's just beautiful, right? Uh, and kind of like just the, the valley of Oregon. It's a beautiful little church. We were there in February, I believe, of 2007, I think it was. 2006, maybe. So we're there in Oregon, and every morning it's me and my buddy. We're just waking up and seeking the Lord, and like going, I don't know, what I'm, I'm 18, like, what am I doing with my life, God? And I remember one morning, we, they have at this church, and I've shared this a little bit before, but they have at this church every morning, because they own a building at school. But from 6.30 to 8, they do worship and prayer. 6.30 to 8 every morning, they do worship and prayer. And the, the, the lead pastor, his name is John Corson, he was there. There's like 15 people in this giant sanctuary for this worship and prayer and communion. And we're there at 6.30. John's there. It's over. It's 8 o'clock. And we had a meeting with him from like 8 to 12. And me and my buddy, who are like 18 to 20, just like punks, you know, stupid kids, we like, there's so much in our mind and heart about God and the Bible. And we, we just meet with him from about 8 to 11.30. And every question I've had, every frustration I've had, every, like, why does God, and, and this guy was, for some reason, patient enough to answer our questions and listen, and no idea how he had that patience, but from, like, 8 to 11.30 to listen and answer questions. And I remember, at the very end of it, he just looks at us and goes, you know what you're missing? We're like, no. He's like, you're missing the power of the Spirit. He's like, you really are. I know you're born again. I know you love Jesus. You're missing the power of God's Spirit. Can I pray for you? And I remember he prayed over us. I remember he laid his hands on us and prayed over us. And I don't know, again, don't try to match any experience. There's just a side where I so believed in faith in that moment, I received the Spirit. Really wasn't crazy, you know, sensation. Of course, there's feelings attached. But it wasn't like how I've heard it described. But I remember for me, I I so believed God's Spirit filled me. There was just a new, I guess, clarity in life, a new understanding, a new passion, new zeal. We got back to Orange County, California, I'm just going to, I don't know what to do, but I'm going to serve Jesus. We started like two different Bible studies a week that began to grow. I got on staff at a church as a janitor full-time for 40 hours a week for a year of my life at 18, and that felt weird, but it was, it was such a humbling, necessary thing in my life where God had to purge a lot out of me, and honestly, all I can just say is that, that I, I believe from that point on, I was filled with the Spirit. Now, can I tell you, I've had to have other moments similar but very different from that, other moments where it has felt like wave after wave of God's love being poured out, and you just go, God, just thank you. Other moments where you're speaking to a homeless person and you feel like you have a unique word and you share it and they say, I believe, and they receive. And the other than the Holy Spirit, it makes no sense. No sense. I wish it happened more often. <laughs> I wish I could be like, yeah, like every day of my life, I'm pretty, like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not. There's, I'm filled with too much of me so often. I do think that many times we need to be emptied before we're filled. I think like John the Baptist, he goes, I want to decrease so you can increase. I'm filled with too much anger, frustration, bitterness. Coffee, ice cream, M&M's, those are mine. I'm filled with too much other stuff <laughs> other than you. God, fill me. A- and I'm, I'm sharing this because I think it's necessary for you guys to understand it is an ongoing thing. It's on- continually be filled with the Spirit. Can I tell you, someone does not walk around drunk forever. If they do, it's because they're still drinking. <laughs> and the idea of being filled with the Spirit is that person's like, man, they're just walking the Spirit. Yeah, they're still drinking. They're still taking in the Spirit. You know, eventually you get sober, Right? And you have to drink again to get that alcoholic, you know, to get that drunk phase. Can I tell you with the Spirit, you have to just keep drinking. 
Jesus says, he who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And you're like, what does that mean? And it describes in John 7, he goes, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. I love how John like, offers that. He's like, rivers of living water will flow out of you if you believe in Jesus. And you're like, oh, okay, I don't know what that means. He's like, no, no, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I'm like, oh, thank you, John. And this idea that you believe in Jesus, and this is ongoing thing. And you must take him in and seek him and drink of him. And I, that's the only way I can describe it. It's just receive the Spirit. Ask. God is not trying to withhold, trying to make it complicated. Church, please receive the Spirit. We need him moment by moment, day by day. Stop being filled with other things. Say, God, fill me with your presence. Amen? We desperately need him. I want to share one thought with you because this is interesting to me, and, and we are going to take communion with this because I think this is so, so relevant to being filled with the Spirit is, is communion. And just please hear this. Don't get distracted. Don't miss this. Please just listen to this. In, in the book of Leviticus, there's this description for Aaron be becoming the high priest. Aaron was the high priest. There's this description for people who had leprosy, if they're ever to be healed, do this process. And there's many other times we see this process being done. What is this process? It's really interesting. There's this process with Aaron and with the priesthood where the priest, Moses is for Aaron, or the priest would take blood. Listen, please don't miss this. Would take blood, and he'd put the blood on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right toe. Maybe you remember this or heard of this. Then he'd come around and, and take oil and put oil on top of the blood, on the earlobe, on top of the right thumb, and on top of the toe. I'll just throw the verses up so you can read this. Leviticus chapter 14, verse 14. Just listen. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Verse 17. And of the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his foot, <laughs> on the blood of the trespass offering. What? What, what is it? What is this? There's this idea that we're going to put blood here on your ear, on your hands, on your toe, and it is sanctifying you, setting you apart. You are redeemed. You are, your sin has been paid for by the blood of the Lamb. And please, please listen to this. Why the ear is going, God, I want to hear from you. I need to hear from you. Faith comes by hearing by hearing your word. God, my hand, I need to serve you with my hands. My hands are yours. My feet, wherever I go, God, I'm yours. And there's this idea of the blood setting them, them apart. The priest or the leper. We're the leper <laughs> and the priest. But this idea of being set apart for God. Now please listen. Then he says, take the oil, put it on top of the blood, on the right ear, the right thumb, and the right toe. And like, what is that? And the oil on being understood then and still now. Oil, oil being really symbolic of God's presence, of God's spirit, of God's anointing, of God saying, not just are you purchased, not just are you sanctified, but now you're empowered so the blood, yes, you're, you're sanctified, you're set apart, but now you're empowered to do what I've asked you. You have the oil on you. You have my presence with you. You have my spirit on you. And church, please listen. A lot of us, maybe if you've been around the church, go, I want God's power, I want the Holy Spirit in this way, awesome. But first you need the blood. So please understand this. Before there's the oil, there's the blood. Before, before the Holy Spirit's given, there's Jesus' blood being shed. Listen, before you can experience the power of God, you need to be forgiven of your sin. Amen? Before you can walk in the, uh, please, before you can walk in the fullness of the Spirit, there needs to be that blood that sanctifies you. There needs to be the side of, you know what? That pornography that I'm going to night after night, I'm freed from. How can you have the oil if you first have not really received the blood? This idea that I, I need to walk in the power and presence of God. Okay, but are you still in that sexual relationship that you've not yet given up? You want to walk in God's power, but have you really received the blood? Have you really been sanctified, set apart, cleansed, the trespass? Have you really experienced that? The oil comes after the blood. 
My point is some of you just need to be born again. Some of you need to experience the blood of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. Some of you need to understand you're sanctified and set apart, you're cleansed, you're made holy because of what Christ has done for you. Enjoy that. Then comes the oil. Some of us go, I want to walk in the power of the Spirit, but God's like, give this up first. Surrender this up first. Why, how can you walk in the Spirit if you're still continuing the same old junk that I've saved you from over and over again? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? We want the oil, we want the Spirit so often, but Jesus like, receive the blood. Here's what we're doing. We're going to take communion, and it's where we hold this cup and we hold this cracker and remember the blood of Jesus and say, Jesus, by your stripes, by your blood, I'm forgiven, I'm healed, and God, you've also given us your spirit. I'm honestly going to ask that you guys, as you hold your communion, please, individually and alone, do Luke, and I, Luke 9, you ask, say, God, thank you for the blood of Jesus and thank you for the oil. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. God, my ears, I want to hear from you. I want my hands to serve you. I want my feet to serve Wherever I go, God, I'm yours. I'm completely yours. And there's the blood, and then there's the oil, and there's a sanctifying work, and the, the justification work that's done by Jesus Christ on the cross, and there's the oil, the Holy Spirit, the power to carry that out, the power to now walk in newness of life, the power to walk with Jesus daily. Receive the blood and receive the oil. Amen? One little quote I want to read to you that I just hope can sink into our church. A guy named Charles Ryrie said, the solution to the problems of the church today is to solve the individual Christian's problems. And the solution to these problems is a person, the Holy Spirit. He is the antidote for every error, the power for every weakness, the victory for every defeat, and the answer for every need. And he is available to every believer, for he lives in his heart and life. The answer and the power have already been given to given us in the power of the Holy Spirit. You already have it. You already have it. Jesus already sent the Holy Spirit. Now receive it. Now ask. Be passive. Go, Jesus, I'm, I'm believing that you're not going to withhold your spirit. As we take communion, think of the blood, think of the oil. Can we do that? So I'm going to pray. We're going to pass out communion. We're going to have some worship up here. When you're ready, take your communion. Then we're going to close with some prayer and just some closing thoughts, all right? Let me pray. Father, we just, um, we're just humbled by the fact that you've given us your son and you've given us your spirit. <laughs> God, that you gave us yourself. It's so often, God, I, I want the gift, but I have the giver. God, I just ask that you remind me of that. That I want, I, I have a want, but I have the source in you. God, I just ask as we take communion, as we remember the body of Jesus being broken, his blood being shed for us, that we just receive that, that we praise you for that, that we are forgiven, that we are free, Jesus, and that whom you've set free is free indeed. Lord, let us now walk in the power of the Spirit. God, I ask that you would, you would fill us. Jesus, other than us going to you and saying, God, please, we ask that you fill us, fill us, God, every moment of the day. We come to you daily, Jesus. That is our desire to not just be filled once, but today, this afternoon, tomorrow. We want to be filled with your presence, God. Make us more aware of you. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we take communion now, speak to the hearts in this room. Jesus, for anyone who who maybe doesn't know you, let them receive the free gift of salvation found in Jesus. Let them receive the Holy Spirit. Lord, let their life forever be different because of your work and what you've done. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. And we just invite you here. Speak and move now in your wonderful name. Guys, feel free to come forward and pass out communion. Let's worship.